Welcome to the Digital Health Insights Podcast, where NZ Hits CEO Scott Arrell brings you key thought leaders to share their experience, views, and vision on all things digital health and more. Full tech enablement is essential for creating world-class health systems, and Scott's guests discuss how this can be achieved, the challenges that need addressing, the opportunities it creates, and the benefits delivered to health, disability, and social care services in New Zealand and worldwide. Hi there. Hey, thanks for joining me today. This is Digital Health Insights, and I'm Scott Arrell. You're going to enjoy today's guest, and I know that I always say that, um, but I do know that you will enjoy this guest equally as much, if not better, uh, than the previous guests on on my show. Um, Who is it? It's Christine Hall, and she's the Chief Executive for Pinnacle Ventures Limited, based down in Hamilton, of those in our international listeners. Hamilton's sort of in the middle of North Island, which is a geographically incorrect thing to say, of course, um, but uh, commonly known as the Tron here in New Zealand. We sort of like to give things various nicknames. Not sure even where the Tron comes from, but uh, it's Hamilton, beautiful city, got the Waikato River kind of flowing kind of through the middle of it. And if you ever get to New Zealand, place to go visit, very lots of gardens, beautiful sort of layout and everything like that. So anyway, Christine, she works really hard at Pinnacle Ventures. She's been there over one year, nearly nearly a year and a half actually, started as a general manager, um, now took over as chief executive about nine months ago, um, almost, I'd say, sort of right at the start of our locked, pandemic lockdown uh, and it took on quite a big job and has been doing a great great job of it. So, hey, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about Christine because she's going to tell us all about what she does and what Pinnacle Ventures are and the whole area of primary health care in the Midlands area, uh, along with, um, of course, her her view of the future. What does 2030 look like when she gets out of that time machine of mine? And as always, I ask a favour, please subscribe and uh, please share. Share the love around. Share this episode with your friends. And, you know, we want the more people to listen to these interesting stories from these fantastic guests as much as possible. Well, hi there, Christine. Thanks for joining us today. And how's things down in the Tron and in, in good old Hamilton? Well, it's a little bit soggy and foggy looking today, which is no real surprise. Yeah, that's right. Hey, and we've got international listeners actually. So, and I, I'm a bit remiss because you're using uh, nicknames or uh, slang, Kiwi slang, I suppose. Uh, um, the the Tron seems to be the nickname that ha- where you live, the city of Hamilton is. And um, I don't know what why why it gets called the Tron. Do you? No, I'm not sure. Um, I'm actually based <laughs> in Tiawamutu, which is a bit further south um, from Hamilton. So, I'm looking out. For the international listeners, at some rolling green hills that um, New Zealand is famous for, so I'm pre- feeling pretty yes. lucky and inspired about that. <laughs> oh, great! Yeah, actually, um, uh, well, in case again, uh, in terms of nicknames or, or shortening it, uh, uh, colloquially it's known as TA, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it must it must be a Kiwi thing. We just take one word, and it, it, it appears to be too long for us, so we just yeah. <laughs> we just shorten it up. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, um, uh, we used to live. Um, Anna and I used to live in Ohalpo. Oh yeah, not too far away. Um, yeah, in fact, just just outside of Ohalpo. So yeah, definitely uh, share your yeah the, you know, the love of those green rolling hills and and paddocks yeah. and pastures. It's it's very um, although from where you're from, uh, fairly English too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, that was, um, so I've been in New Zealand for 14 years now. And um, part of the reason 
for coming here because it was a choice between Australia or New Zealand was thinking that it would be more like home and I'd be less homesick coming here. Um, and yeah, 14 years later, no regrets whatsoever. It was the best decision we ever made. Yeah, excellent. Oh, good, good. Yeah, and, and clearly New Zealand's um, gain was the UK's lost, England's lost. So, because what what part of England were you from? Essex for my sins, um, and Essex. listeners will probably have a little chuckle at that. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. even in New Zealand, you can't escape uh, the Essex girl judgments. <laughs> No, no, that's right. Yeah, it's that's interesting, isn't it? But I, I guess in New Zealand we have that too as well. Um, probably the same, you know, all over the world, isn't it? Hey, um, anyway, let's get on with our uh, interview here. And, uh, you know, for our listeners, you, know, you let's talk a bit about what you do and, and uh, you know, your background as well. Of course, you have 14 years in New Zealand. Uh, that pretty much makes you a Kiwi as far as I'm concerned. So, and um, But what else, you know, what, what actually were you doing before you came to New Zealand and what drew you to New Zealand? Yeah, so um, so I trained as an occupational therapist um, and I came over to New Zealand as an occupational therapist, very lucky to get in on the skilled migrant shortlist um, and spent nine years working in mental health and addictions at Waikato DHB, uh, working on the inpatient unit and in the community teams. Um, and had a, an awesome career progression um, through the mental health service. So started out on the wards, uh, had a couple of kids. Um, and then when I left uh, the Waikato DHB mental health service, I was managing Henry Bennett uh, Centre and the adult community mental health team. So um, at a time when they were going through a big transformation programme, um, and then, so yes, yeah, so I became an operations manager, which was my first kind of step into a more senior management role. Um, and then I did my MBA because I didn't, I didn't want to stay in the DHB. I knew that my pathway would be um, outside of the DHB and wanted a bit more kind of commercial exposure, having come from an OT, a clinical background. Um, so I did my MBA and then stepped out of the DHB and into a role in the WISE group managing their social housing and homelessness business. So that was my last role. Um, and then thought, actually, there's a whole lot going on in primary care that I'd really like to be a bit more exposed to. So then made the decision to step over um, into ventures and work alongside uh, John McCaskill-Smith, who was the CEO at the time. So I came in as a GM um, and then John transitioned and I stepped up into an acting CE position and then became the CE of Pinnacle Ventures permanently in April, which was during lockdown. So it's been an interesting <laughs> experience stepping into that leadership role um, and leading an organisation. So there's there's around 250 staff um, in ventures. So we've got two businesses, um, Primary Healthcare Limited, which are a 13 general practices that we own across the Midland region. And then the other business um, is a digitally focused business. So we deliver um, services like our patient access centre. We have a data team um, and we are a reseller for Indice. Um, and we recently sold Xcrania, which was part of that digital offering. Um, so we sold Xcrania to Platform Plus, uh, which was uh, an early decision that I made in the in my leadership as the CE of Ventures. Uh, so probably the other thing to explain about Ventures, which are, which people are not always clear about, is that we are part of the Pinnacle Group, um, 
And wait, ventures is basically the commercial activity or interests of Pinnacle. Um, and so we sit alongside the PHO. So Helen Parker is the CEO of the PHO and we um, work together as colleagues. So she deals with all the P PHO activity and then I um, have a role over the commercial interests, which also includes um, buying and selling um, general practices as well. Wow, yeah, cool. And you go, when you think about what your, your roles that you've had since you come to New Zealand, you know, so the Henry Bennett Centre, um, you know, that's not for the faint-hearted. And then uh, uh, Wise Group, the role that you had at Wise Group, and then moving into ventures and working with John, and then and then uh, taking over once John left. You know, you you clearly um, aren't afraid of taking on some challenges, are you? Oh no, definitely not. Um, one of the things that's really important to me on a personal level is is the stretch and. Um, you know, making sure that I'm constantly learning and evolving and and learning different things. I mean, even taking that initial step of doing my MBA, I, I, that, managing Henry Bennett and the community mental health teams was a massive job. And so I had a child under two, um, a five-year-old, um, doing my MBA, doing a massive job, you know, stepped into uh, that, that um, role managing Henry Bennett had about had over 200 um, staff reporting through to me as well. Um, in that same time frame, moved house and got married. Um, and, you know, so so definitely not afraid to take on a challenge and take a bit of a risk in um, moving forwards. Not necessarily about um, moving upwards in terms of career progression, but just being fulfilled and feeling like I can make a difference in the system. So I think coming into ventures with a view, um, with a really a social kind of, view of what happens for people having worked in homelessness and walked alongside people and housed people off the streets myself and worked in frontline services and mental health um it gives you a really good sense of people's real stories and how the system does and does not work um and then the role that i think we should be playing in primary care and general practice in supporting system change and better outcomes for people Mm, yeah, true. And uh, MBA-wise, was that at the University of Waikato? Yeah, yeah, it was. Cool. So that was um, two years of full-time study on top of full-time work. So every weekend, um, either in the classroom or writing assignments. Um, and I came out of that with a distinction as well, which I was pretty stoked about. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. That's cool. Um, well, well, we share that uh, in common. Uh, I'm an uh, alumni of the Waikato uh, MBA program, the executive MBA program, and uh, and also uh, just skiting a bit along with you, uh, passed with distinction. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So and it's not a uh, let's do a plug for that program. You know, if anybody, any of our listeners are uh, thinking about doing an MBA program, I you know, clearly you and I would would be saying, hey, get get down there to to the University of Waikato's program and and do it because it is it, it stretches you, doesn't it? But it's oh, really, it really worthwhile. Does. The thing that is that. I took away from it the most was being alongside people from entirely different industries like engineers and people from council and um, and just learning what's transferable between all of those different industries in terms of leadership and management. Because um, the challenge, I think, for health when you come from health is that, you know, there's often some really great leadership programs in health, but it starts to become a bit insular and the same people get recycled around. Yeah. So I was really clear that I wanted to do something different and be exposed to different conversations. I actually um, went in and judged one of the Dragon's Den um, 
events in the last month or so. So that was that was really oh, yeah. cool to see the new cohort of people coming through, make some new connections, um, meet with some people, and provide some career advice and guidance. Because I think I'm a really great advert actually for what happens when you do invest in something like the MBA and the opportunities mm. that then present themselves. I'm into my second CE position and I'm not yet forty. So you know, I think I think yeah, it's good. a great investment. Mm. Yeah, no, it absolutely is, and it's you know there are good programs all over New Zealand, really MBA programs. But of course, because you and I did the Waikato one, that's the that, yeah, that is the best, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and the drag the Dragons Den program is really good, isn't it? I yeah, you know, sort of ha- you as part of being in the program, you you have to you know go and present to the Dragons, but then once you've um, graduated then you go back in and be a judge and yeah. it's a lot of fun isn't it? because yeah. you're sort of on the other side of the other side of the table so to speak and uh, um I, 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 Jens Mueller was was he there when you were yeah when yeah. you were there yeah mm. yeah and we still maintain a, a connection so I've helped him out with some chats with people as well yeah Mm-hmm. No, good guy, and he, he drove a lot of that uh, stuff, which was uh, I think is quite different to uh, other programs around the country. But anyway, we should get back on track. We we, we could probably talk about the University of Waikato, uh, um, and that whole Waikato area is really good. Problem is that they don't have a really good rugby team, but we probably won't get on to that. <laughs> I'll be showing my bias, won't I? <laughs> um, yeah, so let's talk about you touched on uh, ventures and what you're doing there. You took over, um, whilst it probably only feels like a few months to you, it was about nine months ago. Yeah. Um, you, you've you sort of come in, looked at it, you know, spent your time looking at, at uh, well, you were working with John before then, of course, but then to having, you know, taking over the, at the helm and, you know, sort of adjusting and realigning this, the future strategy. So why don't you tell us about that and, you know, sort of what Ventures does and, and going to be doing? Yep. So um, so the Primary Healthcare Limited, which are the um, practices that we own, so we own 13 currently, um, soon to be 14 in the new year. Um, originally, the strategy around practice ownership um, for Pinnacle was around supporting um, practices to remain in communities where there was a worry that um, maybe there was a sustainability issue or the owner wanted to sell the practice and there was no one to buy it. So we stepped in to make sure basically that that general practice continued to be delivered. Um, so that we started that in 2001 with the purchase of a practice in Waihi Beach. Um, and now, uh, so the, the strategy that I'm leading um, is very much focused on how we take those 13 practices and get really clear about what binds them together um, as a business. So what does our cohesive collective strategy look like? They've very much been 13 individual practices kind of doing their own thing with their own um, structures um, and focus. Um, so basically taking them and and driving them in the same direction and looking at where are the economies that we can get from um, owning 13 practices. Um, so things like our patient access centre, what administration stuff can we centralise, um, having consistent systems around compliance, um, health and safety, reporting, all of those sorts of things. Um, So that's what we're working on right now. But the thing that I'm really excited about, actually, is the opportunity with those general practices to influence um, system change because we've got the scale to be able to do that and to support Pinnacle and its um, strategic goals around healthier communities and and outcomes for people. 
So um, very the types of things that we're focused on right now is where are the opportunities to partner with agencies. So we are working alongside Kate Pacifica on their Pan Pacific hub. Um, so we're going to be the general practice um, alongside an ECE and final order services, um, which is really exciting because that's mm. because it's a different way of delivering general practice. And I'm thinking that this this won't be a um, so much a bricks and mortar thing for us. It will be how do we actually get out into the community and start engaging people and meeting with people um, on on their terms and in their way. How do we engage people who are not engaged? in health services at the moment um, and that kind of goes back to my history with uh, mental health services and uh, homelessness you know the homeless population are the group of people that um, have been failed by the system basically because they they don't trust the system they don't engage and they really the tr- building trust and confidence and engaging people on their terms is so important so, yes, so it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's partly where um, where we'll take the the general practice um, strategy, and then with our uh, digital the digital side of the business, um, reorganising a number of kind of business units into one entity. So next year, what you'll see with that is um, a bit of a a launch of a new kind of business, but it's not really a new business. It's just a refocus of the business that we've got with with one brand that sits over it um, and a focus on, so with our patient access centre, um, how do we make sure that we are supporting people to access healthcare? What does that mean creatively? So the patient access centre was established to um, make sure that when people called up to make an appointment with their general practice, that the phone would be answered um, because it's a real challenge in, in the traditional model when You've got administrators or receptionists who are trying to answer the phone and book people in for appointments and deal with people at the front desk. And so it's about taking away some of that burden and increasing the likelihood of, of being able to get an appointment. So, yeah, focusing much more on that, on our data services. So our data services deliver um, all data infrastructure from Midland Health Network at the moment. So that's supporting around, I think it's around 450,000 patients. Um, and all of their data, um, and then our industry reselling. So we we are uh, we resell the license for industry use within the Midland region. Um, and I think our our partnership with Valencia and um, the industry team is pretty well known um, in terms mm-hmm. of the role that we had um, in the early development of um, industry and its its role as a practice management system. Yeah, and just for context, I guess, and I'm thinking about our international listeners, but but also possibly within New Zealand, um, kind of the scale of the Midland Health Network area. You know, you, you I think it's quite large, isn't it? Is it? Am I correct in saying that you've got the largest rural um, spread of you know of people? Yeah, I, I yeah. yeah, I couldn't say for sure that we've got the largest rural spread, but there definitely is um, a big rural component to what we do. So um, we've got some urban centres like Hamilton, um, but the Midland region is, is definitely um, definitely very rural. Lots of very small practices and small communities um, who are quite isolated. Um, so, mm. 
Yeah, so it's definitely, um, it, it poses some big health challenges for us in terms of how we reach those people and deliver health services. Yes, yeah, you've got yeah the the urban hubs, obviously Christ, uh, Christ sorry, not Christchurch, Hamilton, <laughs> yeah. the Tron, uh, I should know better, um, and but also stretch out over to Taranaki and New Plymouth. You you in that area as well? Yep, yep. So uh, we've got practices in Taranaki. We've got four practices in Taranaki, five in Hamilton, um, and then one in Bay of Plenty, um, one in Taupo. Um, and Tokoroa and Rotorua. Right. Okay. Cool. And but it, cause the the actual Midlands sort of area stretches right up into the Coromandel Peninsula as well, doesn't it? And you know that's, that's pretty remote. Some of those areas. Yeah, and over to Tairawhiti. Oh, Okay. Down. Yeah. As far far as, as so again for um, international listeners, you know Tairawhiti is sort of the main urban centre is Gisborne, of course, beautiful beautiful part of the world. Um, but it is you know. Um, I guess for people living in Auckland, uh, you know, it's fairly remote. Uh, so yeah, the whole area is is quite spread out with these these sort of urban areas. But but then you've got that that spread. You mentioned Waihi Beach, and uh, I think also there'd be Wangamata. You know, those sort of beach areas yeah. on the east east coast east coast, which are beautiful areas. But you know, in some regards, hard hard to service, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, the, one of the real very real real challenges that we have is around the workforce and particularly. Um, general practitioners, how we recruit and attract staff into some of those more rural areas. So we don't have problems um, staffing the urban areas, but um, yeah, get, getting people and keeping staff out in some of those rural areas is a, is a real challenge for us. Yes, yeah. And so how how's that in terms of the technology side of things, so with ventures and industry and so on, so that that's a key, a key component? To helping to manage and deal with the the let's say the the labour situation, the staffing of clinics. Yeah, yeah. So um, using um, some of our kind of infrastructure and technology to um, rather than when there's a, a vacancy or someone goes on leave in the practices, um, physically sending someone out to the practices to cover, um, exploring much more how how can we deliver virtually. Um, because that's become a much more new normal since COVID. Um, one of the things that we do as a business is we, um, when people ring up to book an appointment, we there's a triage process that happens. So um, we speak with the individual or the patient to find out, do they need to be seen today based on a kind of brief clinical assessment? Or can it be an appointment in a few days time um, that can be booked in ahead? So that just helps us manage uh, some of the demand for our service um, and make sure that we meet people's needs in in a timely manner. And that sort of thing can be done remotely from anywhere um, as part of our service delivery. So yeah, so just being a bit more flexible and also being really clear about um, what are the ways in which the model of general practice can evolve because it's very much been built around the GP um, and the funding model is very much built around the GP. But we really are pushing much more of a team-based approach, so um, nursing staff, but also the employment of um, what are called medical care assistants, so basically like a healthcare assistant, working in the team as well so that each member of the team is working at the top of their scope and they're not involved in 
um, tasks or activities that could be delegated to someone else in a much more efficient way. Um, so I, I think there's a whole lot of work to do around what the, the future model looks like. And different communities require different things. Different communities have might have higher needs than others. Um, so making sure that you take the idiosyncrasies of each community into account um, when you're planning what those models look like. Um, particularly mm -hmm. when, when, like our OFATA um, practice, uh, is very much in a, uh, within a Māori community. So how do we make sure that we are meeting the needs of Māori and that we're engaging properly um, in the way, yeah, in the way that kind of best meets their needs? Mm, yeah, true. And uh, talk about the lock, uh, COVID and the pandemic, and obviously we, you know, I think internationally it's pretty well known how well we've done. And I was, I was interviewed for a another podcast channel, actually um, based in Slovenia of all places. Wow! And just just recently, and um, the uh, the host of that show, you know, asked me, or well, they made the comment really was, "Hey, isn't it fantastic how New Zealand's beaten?" Uh, COVID and you know, the, the the international impression about how well we have done, which is you know well founded, of course, um, and of course from a technology perspective, they're wanting to know you know how we how we did that with technology. And really, my reply was it was yes, you know the tech tech played a part, um, but in large respect, we weren't ready for any pandemic. You know, apart from countries such as Taiwan, uh, you know, who have been well prepared because of SARS and and you know, past experience. Um, New Zealand was probably found wanting or could well have been found wanting. Uh, the big thing really was the people. You know, I th Absolutely. this was my, res my yeah. response to, to, to the host was, you know, ultimately, you know, everybody just pitched in and at a, at a, at a primary care level, at a secondary care level, um, the staff, the clinical, non-clinical people um, just just did what it, what it took to make things work, didn't they? Yeah, and you would yeah. have found that yourselves with, with your clinics, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, 2020 definitely goes down as being a pretty massive year. Um, and, I mean, it's it's quite interesting coming into this role and leading through um, the pandemic and having a mental health background because I, I feel like, um, you know, there's actually a, a, quite a lot of trauma that's sitting out there in the workforce from this year um, because you know we've we've shifted in and out of lockdown or levels, um, and the the staff are quite exhausted. And and so when I one of the conversations that we've been having in the digital business side of things is, um, it's great having digital solutions, but how do you get people to adopt them um, when they're in a mind space of feeling quite frazzled and exhausted and, and don't necessarily have the headspace to learn new things or um, change their behaviour um, to be able to adopt some of those technologies. That That's a real risk um, and a challenge at the moment, I think, in the sector. And so everyone pins a lot of hope on the kind of Christmas period and a reduction of services and the reduction of demand. Um, to be able to have a bit of a break and, and a rest so that we can um, go into 2021 feeling a bit fresher um, and open-minded about, um, you know, what what change might happen uh, in, in 2021. Yes, yeah, true. And, you know, my other response um, to the host 
for that interview was really you know, New Zealand. Uh, you know, obviously, there's there, we're not a perfect country, although you know, as far as I'm concerned, we are. But you know, God's own, God's <laughs> own <are>. country, and <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think we do have, a, as a society, we do have a high level of sort of community concern, and and I think you know, whilst you know, nobody was happy about going into lockdown, uh, we did it, and you know, I think the way that it was managed. Uh, was good. Um, could have been better, but but it was really good in in the hindsight. And but but also, um, you know, I think just the rest we just got stuck in, didn't we? And did what it took. And and, and I think that's a, that's an important one. And and in a way, just listening to some of the international people that I deal with, we've kind of I think we've actually made it look too easy. Um, it may the thing is it may look easy on the outside but actually I can definitely see that it's taken a toll on a whole heap of people Um, I mean I I, I've had some very meaty conversations since I've been in this role about well-being and like noticing what goes on for people and as employers I think we have a big responsibility to um, take care of people you know work's important but it can't always all be about work as well we have to make sure that we give people balance. And actually, during that um, lockdown period, just saying thank you to the staff for putting themselves mm. at risk mm. every day to carry on coming into work when everyone else was kind of tucked up at home and in, in isolation. You know, um, people take risks and put themselves out there at a time of, of high anxiety. And I guess the challenge as well is that we're not completely out of the woods yet. You know, we haven't got the... Um, the vaccine here just yet and so really hoping that we don't um, there isn't another community outbreak but I think now everyone is kind of much more mentally prepared if that does happen it it's become less extraordinary which is good Yes. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. And I think that that's all part of, dare I say, it's sort of the Kiwi way as well, which which is positive on one hand, but but not so positive on the other, because we, we kind of, uh, for want of a better way, we sort of suck it up, don't we? we say, okay, well, head down, get the job done. Um, don't don't complain. Don't make any noise about it. Just get it done because it's so important. Uh, but then people get, you know, that, that staunchness uh, can, can sort of... Uh, be exposed, be a risk in terms of how people are feeling, yeah. and then you know that can spill out later on, can it? And you know you you're far more qualified than I am in that regard with your background and how people internalize and and uh, sort of really don't ver- don't verbalize how they're feeling and and their fears and worries, do they? Oh, absolutely. I think for me, it's about noticing. So even if people aren't saying, you know, actually being willing to have a conversation that says, "Hey, I I notice that." Um, you're doing this or you're doing that and maybe something there's something going on let's have a chat about that mm. yeah that's important and technologically in terms of um, the lockdown period of course there was oh gosh I forget the exact date two or three weeks into lockdown um, GP clinics had to close their doors effectively and yeah you know, and it was a kind of a decision made very that needed to be made and it was made quite very quickly then communicated kind of Sort of overnight, I, and I'm, I'm probably stretching that a bit, but you know, GPs uh, running their businesses, and you know, including yourselves, you know, it's a, a lot of work would have happened that weekend, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Because wasn't it the Monday? Oh, you know, the so doors had much to be closed. Planning. Yeah, so much planning. <laughs> and um, I mean, the thing that we found for um, the 13 practices we own that it was that, that it was actually a really galvanising experience. Um, there's nothing like a, a common enemy to bring a team together. Um, in some ways and so 
um, everyone was kind of forced to come together and figure out what the what the pathway forward would look like. Um, and actually, I do have to do a bit a bit of a shout out to um, Dr. Rebecca Doran, who's our medical director, um, because she did an ex- exceptional job of um, of kind of leading and keeping everyone calm at a time when it could easily have turned into a bit of a crisis. So our, our leadership team um, did a phenomenal job. Yes. Yeah. And I think that was across the board, across the country, you know, because there was a lot of practices. um, They might be solo owned, you know, sole ownership or just uh, the two or three GPs in the practices also as the owners and, you know, operating obviously within their PHO as well. But, you know, lots of decisions have to be made. And that's right. One of those. Yeah, and there wasn't any choice either. It was like it had to, it had to happen, and yeah. you know, and the way that everybody's had it kind of rallied around and just made it happen was fantastic. And I'm I'm on the telehealth leadership group, and you know you as you say with um with Rebecca on your side, you know there were I saw people individually and collectively just come together in such a fantastic way. It was just a real display of leadership, wasn't it? Yeah, and it just, really was. You know, yeah, there was no option, and uh, so what were you going to do about it? Nobody had time to start sort of saying, oh, well, what is the option? Because there wasn't an option, and no. then we had to make it happen. Yeah. No, that's right. And, and I, it, it really did show the best of people, and the PHO were, um, you know, Helen Parker and Joe Scott-Jones, who's the medical director over um, the Midland Health Network, they were really exceptional as well. They really stepped up and led a great response Um very well coordinated um, and always very calm um, and yes. in control. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what struck me. And I think that's that's testament to just the, the professionalism and, and integrity of that, of, of you know, the GPs and all their staff, really, because, yeah. you know, when I was in contact with various ones and, um, you know, seeing what we could do to support in terms of, you know, there were some struggling, of course, because they couldn't, they couldn't go fully virtual in terms of video uh, conferencing. That a lot of them were ju- just jumping on the phones and doing what they could with their patients, uh, which was which was fantastic. Um, but yet I sensed that calmness. You know, nobody was panicking, uh, no. and that's that that's really great, wasn't it? Yeah, it really is. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, and, and technically, we don't have to repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, we've had practice runs, but we don't. It's not one of those practice runs you want to have to keep doing, isn't it? And uh, hey, um, just finally on that point, you know, with Indice, yeah, I, yeah, presuming the practices that you own, you know, run the Indice system. So that that, um, in terms of going virtual when the doors were closed, was you know, was that sort of ready to go yeah you know, how, my, how did how did yeah. the system work for you yeah so um it worked so indice worked really well for us um and the other thing that worked really well is um our adoption of the healthcare home model which we have in various stages across our practices they're all in a slightly different place in terms of their journey but um when i talked about that kind of gp triage function that we deliver that actually became really important um, during that period because we were already um, doing some, you know, the phone calls as a as a virtual kind of care option uh, were already happening. Um, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't as massive a, a transition. Right. Yeah, and it's important that yeah the healthcare home model, which is it's not right across New Zealand, is it? Not yet, but it's where it was or is in place at the time of that lockdown period. Um, I, I think it came into its own. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. 
Hey, now, just moving on to the, and let's talk about the future because, you know, and all my listeners know that I've got this time machine. I, I keep it charged out up in the backyard. You know, it, it's it's electric, of course, because I'm all carbon friendly and all that sort of stuff. So if I give you give you my the keys to my time machine, we'll, we'll hit that 2030 button 10 years ahead and off you zip. And then you step out 10 years from now. Uh, if all the things that happen that you think should happen in, in our system, health system, what does good look like in 10 years time to you? Um, well, I think that we'll be doing a much better job of um, meeting the needs of people who aren't currently engaged with, who have the kind of highest needs. Um, I, I really feel like the measure of success for us um, as a nation is how we take care of the people that need to be taken care of. Um, I think there'll be much more integration. I'd really like to see general practice not so much in offices or um you know, the kind of traditional model of what general practice looks like, but actually out in the community, um, meeting with people. Um, you know, there's some great stuff that already happens around getting out onto mud eyes. And um, I think we should be going out to church and going out into communities, working much more closely with agencies like Kaing Order around um, social housing um just just being much more flexible about what the model looks like. Um, for me, it's about us being really clear that we are in general practice, that's where our strength lies, and what are the partnerships that we need to develop with other organisations to leverage their strengths. Um, and to do that, we'll be much more connected as a system. There'll be better data sharing, integrated platforms, um, measuring our success from a social impact perspective, um, you know, th those sorts of things. But it, it does mean the health status of people um, with the most need will improve. That's what we'll have achieved in 10 years' time. Um, and it takes quite a lot of disruption um, at, right here, right now, to, to make that happen, get people working outside of their silos and their traditional mental models of what they deliver and, and how they deliver it. Yes. Yeah. Big change, but yeah, it's ten years. Except, yeah, you know, ten years will go very quickly, and uh, you know, and there's quite a bit coming up in the next couple of years, isn't it? With our, you know, we've had for again for our international listeners, um, you may have heard me talk before about the health and disability system review. You know that that's happened, and when, and you know the re full report with recommendations was re released actually, I think during lockdown, wasn't it? I think it was in May yeah. this year. Um, and that signals uh, quite significant changes to structurally in particular to the system and you know it remains to be seen whether whether it will work out or not but you know the you know that's going to start rolling out over the next two to three years so you know um, I think we no matter what we will have an, a different looking system in 10 years time absolutely it's very exciting and it's very much what's needed as well we we've got to shift out of the silos and be much more focused on um people and what they need rather than the kind of self-serving system that we have at the moment that really only works for the system and not the people. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I wish them the best for that. And the, you know, people like yourself you know, and myself and, and many others, you know, we, you know, you're, you're working at the coalface. So you want to, you want the best for the people that, that you're looking after. And I always say, you know, when you need care, no matter who you are, where you are, um, when you need care, that you're at the most vulnerable time of your life because you're relying on other people to help you and care for you, aren't you? Yeah, and and absolutely. that responsibility that the, on the carer side, that's a that's a responsibility that people like yourself and and your team take very very seriously. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, 
right here and right now, what I'm trying to drive through the practices that we own is, is I want to know what the stories are. I want to know the stories of the great outcomes that we achieve with people because we did whatever it took. We did the right thing. We worked outside the kind of parameters of, um, of our traditional approach um, and it yielded great results with people. So that's what I'm really interested in. What, what are the stories um, that we can tell? Fantastic. Oh well, look, you know, who knows? Ten years time, we'll do this again, and you'll you'll tell me whether your vision for the future actually happened or not, <laughs> and, uh, and and I'll tell you whether mine did because I haven't shared mine yet. But we've run out of time. I always say that. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. <laughs> I, yeah, I always put my guest uh, my guests under the spotlight rather than myself, which you know that's that's the privilege of the host, isn't it? <laughs> hey, um, hey, thanks, Christine. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, it hasn't been painful at all doing doing this interview, has it? No, not at all. <laughs> No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I only had one little little poke about your yeah the the Chiefs rugby team. Uh, my listeners know that that uh, somewhere every interview I do, every episode, has got some. I always take take uh, a little bit of a poke at the local rugby team. So, um, <laughs> but having said that, I'm not I'm not an Auckland Blues fan. I'm uh, I, I'm way down at the other end of the country with the Highlanders. <laughs> hey, anyway, uh, thank you, and look, thanks, listeners, for um, joining us today. I think it's been fascinating, been very good uh, discussion with Christine. Great to hear about her background and what she's doing now at Ventures and going to be doing. Um, as I always say, of course, share the love around. Make sure that you share this episode with your friends and your networks because uh, these stories are fantastic. And and subscribe as well to the podcast channel. We want you to uh, to enjoy it and uh, enjoy even more. So, thanks, Christine. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Digital Health Insights Podcast with Scott Errol. Make sure to subscribe and join us again for more news, views and stories from key health and tech leaders. For more information, please head to our website at www.nzhit.nz where you'll find links to resources, news, events and much more.